Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered for Thursday, February 20th, 2020. Roland is off today. I'm your host, Dr. Avis. The knives were out during last night's debates, with the main target being Michael Bloomberg. We'll show you some of the highlights. Former Trump associate Roger Stone has been sentenced to 40 months in prison for lying to Congress and witness tampering. I'll break it down with the panel. We have an update to the Syracuse University protests. Chancellor Kent Severud has left the interim suspensions filed against the Not Again SU protesters. He's lifted those suspensions. We'll also look at the impact of African-American music on the entire music industry and give you a preview of the new Museum of African-American Music opening this summer in Nashville. Plus, a new black doll in the image of Ella Fitzgerald. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin. Let's go.
Last night's Democratic presidential debate proved to be the most contentious one so far. Bloomberg made his first appearance. Biden and Warren had a lot to prove. Saunders was Saunders. And Klobuchar, well, she was Klobuchar. Here are some of the highlights. Like to talk about who we're running against. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. I actually welcomed Mayor Bloomberg to the stage. I thought that he shouldn't be hiding behind his TV ads. I don't think you look at Donald Trump and say, we need someone richer in the White House. Let's put forward somebody who actually lives and works in a middle-class neighborhood in an industrial Midwestern city. Let's put forward somebody who's actually a Democrat. Look. One thing that I'm um, really worried about, embarrassed about, was how it turned out um, with stop and frisk. It got out of control. And it's not whether he apologized or not, it's the policy. The policy was abhorrent, and it was, in fact, a violation of every right people have. I have no tolerance for the kind of behavior that the Me Too movement has exposed. In my foundation, the person that runs it's a woman, 70% of the people there are women. <clears throat> In my company, Lots and lots of women have big responsibilities. They get paid exactly the same as men. And I hope you heard what his defense was. I've been nice to some women. <laughs> Mr. Mayor, are you willing to release all of those women from those non-disclosure agreements so we can hear their side of the story? There's a be agreements between two parties that wanted to keep it quiet. And that's up to them. We are not going to beat Donald Trump with a man who has who knows how many non-disclosure agreements and the drip, drip, drip of stories of women saying they have been harassed okay. and discriminated against. That's not what we do as Democrats. I believe in democratic socialism okay, for enough. working people, not billionaires. What a wonderful country we have. The best-known socialist in the country happens to be a millionaire with three houses. What I miss here? Well, you'll miss that I work in Washington, House 1. That's the first problem. Live in Burlington, House 2. That's good. And like thousands of other Vermonters, I do have a summer camp. Forgive me for that. But, Where is your home? But, which, tax, which tax haven New do you York, have your home? New York City, thank you very much. Yeah, right, and I pay yeah, all my home. taxes. And I'm happy to do it because I get something for it. And Mitch McConnell, I've been the object of his affection and the president's affection. The way he's gone after me, this new Republican Party, after me, after my son, after my family. I don't need to be told I'm a friend of Mitch McConnell's. Mitch McConnell has been the biggest pain in my neck in a long, long time. And that's so what we are saying, Pete is maybe it's a time for the working class of this country to have a little bit of power in Washington rather than your billionaire campaign contrib contributors. Hey, uh, all right, look, first of all, I first know. Of all. And if there are a few people who make ugly remarks, who attack trade union leaders, I disown those people. They are not part of our movement. But leadership is about what you draw out of people. It's, what, uh, it's about how you inspire people to act. With, I have an idea of how can we can forward. stop sexism on the Internet. We could nominate a woman for candidate uh, for President of the United States. Mayor Buttigieg, 
really has a slogan that was thought up by his consultants to paper over a thin version of a plan that would leave millions of people unable to afford their health care. It's not a plan, it's a PowerPoint. And Amy's plan is even less. It's like a post-it note, insert plan here. Bernie. I think I'm, Amy I'm, more, said. I'm more of a Microsoft Word guy. I must post. say, I take personal offense since post-it notes were invented in my state. <laughs> so. three MS3. But you're staking your candidacy on your Washington experience. You're on the committee that oversees border security. You're on the committee that does trade. You're literally in uh, part of the committee that's overseeing these things. And we're not able to speak to literally the first thing about the politics of the country you, to ourselves. Are you trying to say that I'm dumb or are you mocking me here, Pete? I'm I saying that you shouldn't trivialize I made that an error. People sometimes forget names. He's basically saying that I don't have the experience to be president of the United States. I have passed over 100 bills as a lead Democrat since being in the U.S. Senate. I am the one, not you, that has won statewide in congressional district after congressional district. But let's just be clear. Missing a name all by itself does not indicate that you do not understand what's going on. So on yesterday's show, Roland predicted that Elizabeth Warren would use this opportunity to get back in the game. When you're running, it's about how do I set myself apart from the other candidates? Right. You have Joe Biden, who is dependent upon large donors. You have Pete Buttigieg, who's dependent upon large donors. Again, when you look at what Sanders, how he has been able to rise, when you look at what made Elizabeth Warren, uh, who really became a United States senator, when you look, yeah. it, was, it was looking at Wall Street big money interests. That still resonates among lots of people. But again, the other thing I think is going to happen tonight, and this is where, again, I keep bringing up Warren for this reason. Vice President Joe Biden wrote the 1994 crime, crime bill. Exactly. Senator Bernie Sanders, even though he spoke on the floor about the negative aspects of the crime bill, he still voted for it. Mm -hmm. um, Mayor Pete Buttigieg has his own issues in terms of African-American and the police department in South Bend, Indiana. Senator Amy Klobuchar has to answer to the questions when it comes to she's prosecuted. Mm -hmm. Bloomberg, stop and frisk, redlining comments, housing, homelessness, all of that sort of stuff. Again, the one person who can go after all of them tonight on all of those issues is Warren. She's I, all, got the Indian thing and the Native American. She drove. Yeah, but that, that's not. That, that's not. Yet. That's not. First of all, that's. Who that's gets no, no, no. That, that is not. Hold on. No, 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 no. That, 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 that is not a policy issue. There we go. Everybody else. Everybody. I'm telling. I'm telling you tonight. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Tonight's debate and Tuesday's debate. I'm telling you right now. Tonight's debate and Tuesday's debate could very well change the fortunes up or down for any candidate. Well, Roland was right. Um, Warren struck a lot of blows to everyone on stage last night, and one of the big ones was to Bloomberg. She shredded him for his treatment of women. Senator Warren, you've been critical of Mayor Bloomberg on this issue. Yes, I have, and I hope you heard what his defense was. I've been nice to some women. <laughs> doesn't cut it. 
The mayor has to stand on his record. And what we need to know is exactly what's lurking out there. He has gotten some number of women, dozens, who knows, to sign non-disclosure agreements, both for sexual harassment and for gender discrimination in the workplace. So, Mr. Mayor, are you willing to release all of those women from those non-disclosure agreements so we can hear their side of the story? We have a very few non-disclosure agreements. Uh, how many Let is that? Let me finish. How many is that? None of them accuse me of doing anything other than maybe they didn't like the joke I told. And let me just put, and let me put, there's a be agreements between two parties that wanted to keep it quiet, and that's up to them. They signed those agreements, so, and we'll live with it. So wait, but, when you say it is up to, I just want to be clear. Some is how many? And, and when you and when you say they signed them and they wanted them, if they wish now to speak out and tell their side of the story about what it is they allege, that's now okay with you? You're releasing them on television tonight? Senator, no. Is that right? Senator, Senator, Senator Company and somebody else, in this case, a man or a woman, or could be more than that, they decided when they made an agreement that they wanted to keep it quiet for everybody's no. interest. They signed the agreements, and that's what we're going to live I, with. I'm sorry. No, the question is, are I the women bound by being muzzled by you? And you could release them from that immediately. Because understand, this is not just a question of the mayor's character. This is also a question about electability. We are not going to beat Donald Trump with a man who has who knows how many non-disclosure agreements and the drip, drip, drip of stories of women saying they have been harassed okay. and discriminated against. That's not what we do as Democrats. So the next debate is February 25th in Charleston, South Carolina. Joining me on the panel tonight to talk about last night is Reese Colbert, Black Women's Views, and Erica Savage-Wilson, host of Savage Politics Podcast. So that was an interesting night, was it not, ladies? <laughs> Popcorn and wine, guys. <laughs> Well, you know, and also, I'm just wondering, where's your summer camps? <laughs> uh, yeah, because I'm, I need one of those. I need a summer camp. Yeah, very I definitely one need one of those. Yeah, you did. And yeah. then the other thing, too, is that, you know, the conversation is so billionaire, billionaire. Mm -hmm. We've not expanded that to be millionaires. Mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders is not a working class individual. No. Um, Elizabeth Warren. Oh, at all. No. I mean, they're, they're senators. They're very well taken care of. They'll be well taken care of mm -hmm. after they exit. For the rest of their lives. For yes. the rest of their lives. And I think that um, the one thing kind of like we have to pull back and dial back on this conversation is really there is a real... Um, there is a, a wealth gap mm -hmm. and that there is not a real relatability to folks who are trying to make it day to day mm -hmm. and folks right. who are able to afford right. a third home having right. two homes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. But, you know, what's really interesting is, is we, you know, if we went backwards, we did used to talk about millionaires mm -hmm. and billionaires right. in the last election cycle. Right. But now, all of a sudden, we only talk about Billionaires. And you know what we haven't been talking about is poverty. We haven't been talking yeah. about homelessness. Right. We haven't right. been talking about uh, rent 
We haven't been talking about a variety of issues. Last night was a great slugfest if yeah. you're into people duking it out. But it was so light on substance. Yes. I mean, we rehashed the Medicare for All thing. We didn't break any new ground there. We didn't talk about foreign policy that I can recall. No. We it, this was um, a, a debate in Nevada, or Nevada, <laughs> and you had um, a Latina woman who was from Telemundo, and we barely talked about even Latino issues. Well, so, Mexico's president. And me we talked about that. <laughs> that was poo-pooed. Miss Millie, don't, you know, who cares about I know the name of the Mexican president? And they was, I thought that was a little disrespectful, how they just kind of, like, poo-pooed her every time she talked. Yeah. The moderators had no control whatsoever. No. It was just a complete shit show, just yeah. to be perfectly honest. But I was... What the thing about it is, is that we just... We, we continue to talk less and less about substance, about what is, make, what is making the Democrats better than the Republicans. Absolutely. And all that and talk about what makes the Democrats that real differentiator is that you're talking about then talk about things of substance. Mm -hmm. The census, mm -hmm. 2020. Yeah. Right. So they just started rolling out commercials this week around it. I've been to summits, but we've not had, and you're talking about poverty as well. I know um, the bishop, Dr. William Barber, mm -hmm. who is a tremendous voice. Right. He is constantly on Twitter talking about the 140 million um, low wealth and poor folks. And right. as you said, like that was not brought into the conversation mm -hmm. specifically and homelessness is how that relates to the census. This first decennial census is going to be the first census mm -hmm. where it is 80% digital. Mm -hmm. And so, and you're talking about those communities. We have communities that are um, on reservations that have P.O. boxes as addresses, things that really do impact the ways in which folks build political power. Yeah. Those things were not discussed last night. And so when you talk about missing the mark, when you're talking about actually sustaining democracy along with issues, disinformation campaign. Right. You know, Trump rolled out his team, his reelection team rolled out um, a tweet, I believe, around, well, listen, you want to click this link so you'll be the first one, so we'll be the first ones to get counted for the census. Like, what kind of shit is that? <laughs> it does not actually wow. roll out until the middle of March, around March the 12th. Right. There are several different phases of that. So those are the things when we're talking about a big tent party. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. Absolutely receive that. Those are the things that really need to be threaded in conversations at that level so that folks that are watching and paying attention and that are really getting involved with democracy now mm -hmm. understand that it is important, not just hearing it from us right. and hearing it kind of around the table, but hearing it at that level. But it seemed to me, honestly, that everybody was in their feelings about Bloomberg. That's, that's yeah. really what last night was <laughs> yeah. about. That's yeah. what last night was about. Yeah. It's about, we've been out here for God knows how long, going <laughs> every damn nook and cranny and we can kind of go to trying to get votes, yeah. trying to raise money, yeah. and you're going to collude your way up in here in the last minute and just throw bags of cash. Yeah. And I really feel like there was just this cathartic need <laughs> to but, you know, jump them last night. Yeah. That's what I felt we yeah. watched. Yeah. yeah, that did happen. But how many <laughs> votes did they steal from Michael Bloomberg in Nevada? <laughs> Zero. Yeah, that was 36. How was many it. votes did they steal from Bernie Sanders in Nevada? Nine. Zero. Yeah. Who has the votes to give? Bernie Sanders. Sanders. Right. Mm -hmm. So, mission not accomplished. Right. I understand that, you know, they, a lot of them were releasing, okay? Amy and Pete, Elizabeth Warren unloaded on everybody. Yeah. But what you need, I'm, if we look at the aggregate polling data in Nevada, 30% is what Bernie Sanders is polling at right now. That's a blowout. Right. Okay, the next person is Joe Biden at 16%. Then you have uh, Pete Buttigieg at 14%, Warren at 14%. So 
there is a lot of ground to make up in Nevada, and these folks need a win in Nevada. People are thinking about taking out Bloomberg for Super Tuesday. You might not make it to Super Tuesday. Oh, right. absolutely. And I mean, like, even when they were interviewing folks after the debate, mm -hmm. specifically young people, you yeah. think about the population of young people that they have in that state. They were not moved. Mm -hmm. it, it was at least 90% of those people were for Sanders. And mm -hmm. so Biden actually dropped because he was 17%. So he right. actually, <laughs> he's actually dropping, so, yeah. which is not a good sign. And yeah. especially when we're looking, as you said, Super Tuesday, we've got, um, what is it, like 25 states, I yeah. think it is? 16 contests. Six, okay, 14, no, excuse me, 14. Yeah. And then um, American Samoa, um, right, right. Uh, the, um, the expat abroad. folks. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. expat folks. And so when we're looking at those particular states, Three out of that whole 14 or that collection are have the largest population of African Americans. Right. Um, so if something is not done in between now and by the time we get to South Carolina, you'll probably see some people rolling up because they just don't have a path. Right, right. Mm. And I just didn't see the focus on the fact that you have to survive Nevada people are gonna get blown out in South Carolina, even though Sanders is certainly gaining on um Joe Biden, Tom Sire was unscathed because he wasn't right, on the debate right, stage. Right, right. But he's South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he has a pretty decent number mm -hmm. in Nevada as well, and then he's also gaining quite a bit in, in South Carolina while, yeah. while Biden is trying to get other places. So I understand the, the, the need to unload on Bloomberg, but they had bigger fish to fry, and that's Bernie Sanders. When will they ever see that? I mean, this is the, what is this? this that was the seventh, I believe, debate? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. interesting to me that how there doesn't seem to be a very good strategy from any of them yeah. to really lay a blow. I've not seen one debate where I felt like someone really went for right. Bernie. How right. come he keeps falling under the radar? Yeah, I don't know. And then even like with Elizabeth Warren, there was something that she said, but it wasn't to him. Yeah. So there's almost like this gentleman's agreement, so to speak. Oh, yeah. oh it's not working out well for them. For none of them. Yeah. I mean, had it not been for Bloomberg pointing out, I think, what a lot of us know around Bernie Sanders not being this um, revolution leader that mm -hmm. he says that he is. I mean, like, I think that that may have been the first time that people were like, oh, okay, then, well... You know, there's a reason now that maybe I don't connect with Bernie right. in the way that I feel like right. I do. Mm -hmm. yeah. But yeah, so that's kind of like, that's really concerning for me because it makes me consider, well, what is it that you all are holding out on? Mm -hmm. right. You can't. It can't be that you're actually afraid of him. What is mm -hmm. it that you're holding Well, back? maybe they are. I mean, yeah. when, when, you know, he doesn't take responsibility for the behavior of mm -hmm. his trolls online. Right. You know, every time he says what he has to say as a politician does, yes. Yes. I disavow. You kind of remind me about how Trump handled the whole KKK thing, right? When, you know, <laughs> yeah. I disavow. Yeah. I disavow. Yeah. But then when it comes to really taking responsibility, he right. always undercuts that by saying, but I don't really think they're my people. Right. Right. And I, I, in, in Pete's defense, I will say, I think Pete had a strategy to go after Sanders, but Amy was like, you know, so he had to kind of, like, handle that part. But I, my theory, the only thing I could think of is that, and, and we heard this in the last question where they talked about should the person who wins the plural, plurality of the votes become the nominee? Yes. Everybody was like, hell no. We need to let this process play out what it is, right? And so... I think at this point, perhaps they just feel like, okay, um, Sanders support, you can't, you can't breach that. So they're all trying to get to second place. Mm, and mm -hmm. they're hoping that, you know, we have a contested convention, the superdelegates are gonna bail them out, 
yeah. and they'll become the nominee because nobody has a first place. I'm trying to win the nomination with the most majority pledge delegate strategy on that stage. No, right. because I mean you got Pete that's going after Amy for her people, um, mm -hmm. and then you've kind of got the Bloomberg and the Biden, which are kind of like the fallbacks. Right. So. Yeah, it, it is a bit concerning. There's not really anybody that has a clear and focused message. Um, and so I just hope people are really paying attention to that. Mm -hmm. Do you think there needs to be a, a backroom conversation someplace and say, some of y'all just, y'all ain't got a path, get the hell out? <sighs> Do you think, no, I don't even think that um, the Democrats are even strong enough to have that conversation. I mean, you know, we just think about, what was the guy who's been running since 2017, like, just dropped out, like, maybe a month ago? Oh, you're talking um, about Hickenlooper or uh -uh, Bennett? No, 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 not Bennett. Oh. Um, he's been running since 2017. John, some, just somebody who was taking up space. Oh, Delaney. So, yes, John Delaney, yeah. So, uh, it would be, it would have been nice for that conversation to have been had, I think, a few months ago. Um, yeah. So I think that in the interest of kind of like television ratings and things of that nature, it's probably just going to continue to play out the way that it is now. And I think that there is an incentive to stay in, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people see the benefit of having name recognition. Yeah. Certainly Bernie Sanders has benefited from that. Uh, Joe Biden has benefited from that. Um, you know, if you have the money to continue on, then sure, why not? Other than your dignity, if I'm not losing. But, you know, people might be trying to, to kind of, you know, get some leverage. Um, they're meeting lots of people. They're meeting donors and things like that. Look at Andrew Yang. He dropped out. I was out. just getting ready to say, mm -hmm. Yang was able to parlay that into a contract with CNN. Like yeah. that. And then when you look at his background, you know, I kind of thought he was more accomplished than what I actually read. <laughs> I, I was like, what? Well, I know he's rich, right? He's a successful businessman. Well, he, but... he, he's the owner. I, I don't even know that I would... He's... I was unimpressed. Okay, uh, yeah. but but you know uh, you know uh, he actually runs. He, it's nothing wrong with a nonprofit. Yeah. He runs a nonprofit. Uh -huh. He used to uh, manage like a text test taking mm -hmm. um, facility. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not. I thought he was like this huge big tech guy. Oh. He really isn't. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, we could say the same same thing for Peter. So it just really you know anybody that has the components to run to run. Right. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So we still have a lot more drama to go, ladies. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be back with more Roland Martin Unfiltered in just a minute. To me, there are no greater patriots in America's long history than the black citizens who are willing to die for a nation that was denying them their rights. Mike Bloomberg is the only Democratic presidential candidate that has a real plan to fight for those sacrifices that have been taken for granted for far too long. And I've got to think it was in hopes that their service and sacrifice might redeem those rights for their children and grandchildren. Introducing the Greenwood Initiative, a bold new plan to help black Americans create generational wealth. One, we will help a million more black families buy a house. Two, we will double the number of black owned businesses. Three, we will help black families triple their wealth over the next 10 years to an all time high. Mike will get it done. Visit MikeForBlackAmerica.com to learn more. There are concrete proposals that we can afford and that we can get done, and we will. I'm Mike Bloomberg, and I approve this message. Paid for by Mike Bloomberg 2020. YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it.
Plus, join Reverend Dr. Jackie Hood Martin as she engages others to think like a leader. Are you looking to enhance your leadership or that of your team in 2020? Well, you can join her online course and mastermind group, How Successful People Think. She'll be your guide as you learn timeless leadership principles to apply to daily living. The offer expires on February 28th. To register uh, or start the online course, go to www.livetolead.com forward slash Leesburg. LiveToLead.com forward slash Leesburg. Again, it is the uh, it's an online leadership course uh, that you want, and it's called How Successful People Think. And so the deadline is February 28th. And so LiveToLead.com forward slash Leesburg. You have the ability. Now apply yourself. Educator Benjamin Mays. So earlier today, Trump's longtime friend Roger Stone was sentenced to 40 months in prison for lying to Congress and witness tampering. Of course, he's requesting a new trial. Debate over the recommended sentence for Stone by prosecutors and Trump's subsequent tweets complaining that his friend was being treated unfairly has raised questions over whether the White House has been meddling with the independence of the Just Justice Department. I don't think it's many questions. I think it's pretty clear, right? Let's talk about that with the panel. So I was pretty surprised to see the 40 months. Mm -hmm. To me, it seemed to be in line with the revised recommendations. Yes. So I'm yes. like, is all this pummeling and bullying and extra legal um, intimidation that the president is engaged in, it seems to, at the end of the day, continue to have his intended effect. Yeah, and I thought, well, actually, I thought it was interesting. I read a thread on um, the, the back and forth between, you know, the, the U.S. attorney and the judge, um, Judge Jackson, and they step through it where, you know, they talk about the enhancement and they go at one, one point at a time. And the, the U.S. attorney actually wasn't even protesting the original, mm -hmm. the initial sentencing memo. Mm -hmm. So they stepped all the way through that up into the point to where they basically got to the original seven to nine years mm -hmm. that, was, um, that was recommended and then all the people resigned over because of the edited memo. But then the judge still, you know, kind of had a little bit of mercy and this, that, and the other. And so she, to me, was always a little lighter yeah. on stone, like even with him doing that, that you know, that Target right. social yeah, media yeah, yeah. post and things like that. Yeah. So they, they step through it, but I do realize that, you know, they step through these things when it comes to these white, white collar, right? Absolutely. And these, 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 um, these defendants. And, but then they always rationalize their way back down. Mm -hmm. Black men, Latino men, women, et cetera, we don't get that, that mercy and that no. grace. We don't get that provisions. And so that's what I think it just highlights, again, the fact that we have two separate justice systems. Absolutely. Yeah. And highlights privilege, too. Mm -hmm. um, and just thinking about who the um, attorney general is, the top cop, William mm -hmm. Barr. Mm -hmm. William Barr is arguably um, a person who is definitely championing Trump's agenda. Um, he's made speeches to say as much. So I think that what this also shows us, and when we're thinking about white-collar crimes, like during this tenure of this regime have been right. prosecuted at um, this lowest, the lowest rate that it has historically, when we look at all of that and we think about criminal justice reform and we're thinking about the First Step Act, anything that this regime does is to benefit them. When right. you think about... Um, the clemency, all of the people mm -hmm. that were pardoned, and yeah. think about the number of people who inflicted harm through white-collar crime. Right. And so um, they're, you know, kind of like the framing of this, or it looks like, or it could be like, hell no, 
this is what it is. Trump is using his bully pulpit yeah. to benefit him, his friends, mm. and those people that fit the profile, which mm. are largely white men mm -hmm. to accomplish whatever it is that he wants to accomplish. Absolutely. He's letting out all of these people who were found guilty of corruption. Yeah. But I thought he was this big corruption fighter. What happened? Oh, this all talking about oh, yeah, with Ukraine. With yeah. Ukraine. I thought, okay. you know, he yeah. wanted to <laughs> fight corruption. Yeah, yeah, absolutely not. And just really lowering the bar so that people really, in just like in an authoritarian regime, mm -hmm. understand corruption to just be a part of life. And I think that, as you pointed out, with black life, we are very much so accustomed to two justice systems, mm -hmm. right? But for this to be playing out collectively in a way and in a position where folks really held on to the White House as being this mythical West Wing type um, episodic thing, people are really seeing that you get a person that is actually what we know them to be in the black community. Right. This is daily life for black folks. Mm -hmm. Right. This is the shit we've been talking about for right. centuries and centuries. So I think this is playing out in the way that we understand it to be in black life, which is privilege always um, manifests itself. And at the same time, you have Bill Barr out here you know, feigning that he is so distressed. Yeah. I don't believe he's that. He's so hurt. Yeah. Oh, nope. he's about to resign. Nope. nope. Lies, lies, CBS, on top NPR, of lies. CBS, CNN, stop running that stuff. Yeah. Stop. It is, yeah. it is, that it, to me, that really kind of, like, furthers the trauma. Right. To even, this man give speeches on the regular talking about um, unitary executive theory, where mm -hmm. really everything needs to go through the president. He is in lockstep. He, Mitch McConnell, um, Trump, and every, all of the Republicans are in lockstep with ensuring that white power does stay in power. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm, the media really, too, has done, done such a piss-poor job yeah. and to further inflame, to make it seem as though he is somehow apologetic about what's happening, mm -hmm. yeah. please, you mm -hmm. made it happen, bro. Yeah. yeah. And I think the media just, they cannot help themselves they have to try to instantly rehabilitate Republicans, in particular Trump administration officials. They're trying to make John Bolton out to be a hero. Yeah. You know, when he could have testified to Congress, but he's out shilling his book. Right. You know, and so they always have that inclination to try to give them benefit of the doubt, you know, during the impeachment on background. Oh, these Republicans really think that he's guilty and this, that, and the other. Stop, like you said, stop doing it. Right. It's complete bullshit. We're sick of hearing it. Hold people accountable. If you want to resign, guess what? Do what the other attorneys did and resign. Right. right. But you groveled, William Barr groveled for that job. Yep. He advocated for that job. And he is implementing his white nationalist agenda. That trumps, trumps tweets. Okay, yeah. so he's not unnerved by that when he gets to sit up there and continue to be a part of a Department of Justice that cages kids. Yeah. that mistreats immigrants, that, and he has this new war on drugs that people aren't even talking about. Right. You know? Yeah. So he's he's implementing his agenda, and all this other stuff is just misdirection so that we aren't paying attention to that. Absolutely. I'm not buying it for one second. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And this is the same attorneys general that is going after black women prosecutors. You're talking mm. about yes. your, um, your um, gardeners in St. Louis. You're talking about your foxes. You're talking about um, Marilyn Mosby. You're mm -hmm. talking about 
Rachel um, Collins, you're talking about all of these people who are progressive folks, right. who are states' attorneys generals, who are um, circuit attorneys that are really doing the justice of mm -hmm. not necessarily locking people up, but mm -hmm. especially black and brown folks that are impacted by right. these racist policies, right. to offer some type of restorative justice, to mm -hmm. offer rehabilitation right. um, instead of um, man you know jail sentences. And then you're talking about the same person that has this mandate of ICE trucks, military-style trucks. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a veteran. There is no need for a tank to be in the streets. Mm -hmm. Military-style trucks rolling out in sanctuary cities to inflict terror mm -hmm. on folks that mm -hmm. are not documented Americans. Right. So I agree, like Reese, there's <coughs> no way in hell that he feels bad about anything that Trump's doing and for the press and media to continue to cover it as such and to not even call into question who this person is, what he represents, what he's been in lockstep with is really um, doing an injustice. It is, it is. And I'm wondering how, this is what makes the um, election to me so high stakes for me. Mm -hmm. Because if he's doing all this now, mm -hmm. can you imagine what it'd be like if he won another term? Yeah. He doesn't have to worry about re-election ever again? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he's worried about it, right? <coughs> to be honest with you, I mean, where's Lindsey Graham and calling Bill Barr's ass in there and saying, you need to testify and you need to explain why you had high-level officials resign? Why you have obstruction of justice that's happening on Twitter? Why are you personally intervening in investigations? He didn't have the balls to answer that question when Kamala Harris asked him about it. Mm -hmm. Bring him back in there and make him answer these questions. What he knows is that right now, the, the, the uh, congressional branch, which is, you know, at least the Senate is run by Republicans, has abdicated their constitutional responsibility. Yeah. So yep. he can do whatever the hell he wants to do. Right. Even right, right now. Yep. Right. Well, I think March 31st. He has to go in and answer some questions, so we'll see what hap okay. what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. But I believe that really was the impetus for the Kabuki theater that we're watching right now. He's yeah. trying yeah. to lay a groundwork so he yeah. can say, well, look, I'm trying to do my job. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so there's an update to the story we've been telling you about out of Syracuse University. Students have been protesting a university's handling of over 26 racist, anti-Semitic, and bias-related incidents that have occurred at or near the school since early November. The protesters began occupying one of the buildings on campus on Monday. School officials placed more than 30 hashtag NotAgainSU organizers under interim suspension on Tuesday morning for remaining in the building past closing allegedly violating the campus disruption policy. 23 students were protesting in the building as of Wednesday. Also on Wednesday, Chancellor Kent Severud lifted the interim suspensions filed against protesters, saying, these students are afraid they will be arrested and I am not going to let students be arrested and forced out. So where do we go from here? Let's bring in the panel. You know, what's happening in Syracuse is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. So, you know, what happens now that you have students that are trying to protest, but they find themselves running against the rules, which oftentimes happens in protest, That's right? That's kind of point. <laughs> right. And, and, and this is, I think that this, this is important that it's happening because, you, because we are benefactors of uh, so many people who did the same thing and mm -hmm. even in a much greater way mm -hmm. right. with much greater constraints, right? Right. So it was literally life or death. And I think um, what every generation needs to understand is that um, there is a fight that has to continue. Mm -hmm. um, I think it is very unfortunate that they are um, really, and, and this is just what it is, particularly along with black and people of color lives, is that to have to face white supremacy and not even be 
um, have matriculated from your school yet and yeah, be in your right. job. Mm -hmm. But this is what that is. And then shame on Syracuse, but understand that we're not talking about the South now. We're talking about Syracuse, New Jersey, right, where right. you had 26 racist incidents happen, mm -hmm. but then you juxtapose with who's actually being punished and the mm -hmm. way that they're being punished, mm -hmm. right? So I think that these are important lessons for those students, again, to understand that this is kind of the legacy of the fight that has to continue because they have to be very mindful of the students that are coming behind them. Mm -hmm. But then also to understand that protests met with um, other pieces does affect change. Mm -hmm. It does actually call leaders to the carpet. And mm -hmm. that's just something that every generation has to continue in that vein of. What's happened with, you know, you know have y'all read what's happened with the actual perpetrators of these? Have they caught any of them? A, if so, what's happened them. to them? Yeah, I've, I've read that they, they found a couple of them. They were disciplined. But, you know, that was very hush-hush, right? I mean, yeah. that didn't come out until after now they're trying to kind of CYA right now. Right. But I think it's very telling what is considered disruption. Right. Disruption is people peacefully protesting in a building, not white supremacy, mm -hmm. violence against people of color, against students. That is not an environment that any student should be subjected to, period. Right. But that's not disruptive enough for the people that think that you need to write tickets and you need to, you know, um, suspend people and all this other kind of stuff. And I, and I think that the chancellor did kind of the right thing right. because he was like, well, for now, I will lift these suspensions. For now, I'll use my discretion. That is not an unequivocal message of support with these students. Right. That is not an unequivocal message of support of we're going to make these changes, these tangible changes right now. So he needs to be held even more accountable. This is kind of like lip service right now. It's mm -hmm. like putting a Band-Aid on it, probably hoping that things will go away. And I just, I, I'm so sick of people wanting us, and I mean, I'm not there, but you know what I mean, black people, yep. to protest in a way that doesn't offend their sensibility. Right. Yeah. Even though us walking around in a hostile environment offends our state of being. Right. So we need to start trying to bridge that 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 understanding where people understand that white supremacy is disruptive to us. Right. And right. that should not be okay with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think that that's something that's going to be solved anytime soon because right. white fragility, right, even when we look mm -hmm. at the way that, and this has been brought up over and over again, the way our primaries are constructed, mm -hmm. you're talking about yeah. major polling was done on uh, two of the whitest states, right, mm -hmm. it, whose delegate count, I mean, when you think about South Carolina, when you think about the states that have the largest population of black folks, it does not even, you know, it's not equal. Some right. of the states, like, blow them out. And so it is that white fragility. It is mm -hmm. making sure that things are tailored around whiteness and mm -hmm. white sensitivity. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, for the students, I hope, again, that this is something that they just really kind of, like, understand that uh, as unfortunate as it is, this is actually a part of black life and mm -hmm. that they are able to really push forward in ways that really do, especially with the advent of social media, does right. call, you know, attention to what's happening in Syracuse, um, right. as I just want to continue to point that out, mm -hmm. that this is not something that is uh, regional, that this is something that is all across our nation. Oh, it absolutely <laughs> is. I mean, we, we've been having uh, hate crimes, for example, go up in this nation mm -hmm. every year mm -hmm. since this Thing was running for president. So yes, it is something that pr proliferates our culture. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping uh, that the chancellor, ha you know, bears out some real punishment to the perpetrators. Yeah. Because the only way you stop this is you make an example out of people. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm hoping that they have enough 
kahunas to do mm -hmm. that. <laughs> so we're going to take a break. For real, I'm not holding my breath either. <laughs> we're going to take a break, and when we come back, a look at the impact of African-American music on all music. Mike Bloomberg is the only Democratic presidential candidate that has a real plan for black youth in education. It's called the Greenwood Initiative. We'll make public college tuition free for all low-income students. We'll forgive college loans for students who were exploited by failed for-profit colleges. Mike knows investing in our teachers is investing in our children. We'll also recruit more black and Latino teachers as we did in New York City because studies show they can make all the difference. And we'll also invest much more in heavily historically black colleges and universities because many of the HBCUs are struggling. And the first step to achieving generational wealth is taken in the classroom. We'll incentivize state and localities to create financial literacy classes. Mike will get it done. Visit MikeForBlackAmerica.com to learn more. There are concrete proposals that we can afford and that we can get done, and we will. I'm Mike Bloomberg, and I approve this message. Paid for by Mike Bloomberg 2020. Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. as Roland Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. I'm Greg Carr, uh, teach at Howard University, and today, uh, for Black History Month, I'm going to be reading a poem by the first African-American to serve as Poet Laureate for the Library of Congress, the great Robert Hayden. The poem, Runnegate, Runnegate. Runs, falls, rises, stumbles on from darkness into darkness, and the darkness thicketed with the shapes of terror, and the hunters pursuing, and the hounds pursuing, and the night cold, and the night long, and the river to cross, and the jack lanterns beckoning, beckoning, and blackness ahead, and when shall I reach that somewhere morning and keep on going and never turn back and keep on going? Renegade, renegade, renegade. Many thousands rise and go. Many thousands crossing over, oh, mythic north, oh, star-shaped yonder Bible city. Some go weeping and some rejoicing, some in coffins and some in carriages, some in silks and some in shackles. Rise and go and fare you well. No more auction block for me. No more driver's lash for me. If you see my Pompey, 30 years of age, new britches, plain stockings, Negro shoes. If you see my Anna, likely young mulatto branded, E on the right cheek, R on the left, catch them if you can and notify a subscriber. Catch them if you can, but it won't be easy. They'll dart underground when you try to catch them. Plunge into quicksand, whirlpools, mazes. They'll turn into scorpions when you try to catch them. And before I'll be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave. North Star and Bonanza Gold, I'm bound for freedom, freedom bound. And oh, Susiana, don't you cry for me. 
Renegate, renegate. Rises from their anguish and their power, Harriet Tubman, woman of earth, whip scarred, a summoning, a shining, mean to be free. And this was the way of it, brethren. Brethren, way we journeyed from cane to cane, moon so bright, no place to hide, to cry up and the paddle rollers riding, hound dogs belling in the bladed air, and fear starts a mumbling. Never make it, we'll never make it. Hush that now. And she's turned upon us, leveled pistol, glinting in the moonlight. Dead folks can't jaybird talk, she says. You keep on going now, or you die. Wanted, Harriet Tubman, alias the General, alias Moses, stealer of slaves, in league with Garrison, Alcott, Emerson, Garrett, Douglas, Thoreau, John Brown, armed and known to be dangerous, wanted, reward, dead or alive. Tell me, Ezekiel. Oh, tell me, do you see male Jehovah coming to deliver me? Shh. Who thou calling in the ghosted air? Five times calling to the haints in the air. Shadow of a face in the scary leaves. Shadow of a voice in the talking leaves. Come, ride on my train. Oh, that train, ghost story train. Through swamps and savannas. Moverin', moverin'. Over trestles of dew, through caves of the wish, midnight special on a sable track, moverin', moverin'. First stop mercy and the last hallelujah. Come, ride on my train. Mean, mean, mean to be free. Mike Bloomberg is the only Democratic presidential candidate who understands that wealth creation and the current racial wealth gap is linked to past racism and has a plan to address the impact on black America. The crimes against black Americans still echo across the centuries and no single law can wipe out that slate clean. The time has come, I think, to fully commit ourselves to acknowledging our history and righting our country's wrongs. And that's exactly what I will do as president. It's called the Greenwood Initiative. One, we will help a million more black families buy a house. Two, we will double the number of black-owned businesses. Three, we will help black families triple their wealth over the next 10 years to an all-time high. Mike will get it done. Visit MikeForBlackAmerica.com to learn more. There are concrete proposals that we can afford and that we can get done, and we will. I'm Mike Bloomberg, and I approve this message. Paid for by Mike Bloomberg 2020. There's no question that African-American music has impacted every other form of music in America. Thanks to the National Museum of African-American Music, scheduled to open in Nashville this summer, music lovers everywhere will be able to trace the history of African-Americans' contributions to musical genres spanning generations. Everything from spirituals and gospel to blues and jazz to R&B and hip-hop, 
Joining me to talk about the educational experience is Henry Beecher Hicks, Chairman and CEO of the National Museum of African American Music. Hello there, Mr. Hicks. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I am great. So this is such exciting news that there will be a specific museum that's going to really pay homage to the groundbreaking work that our creativity has given the world. Could you tell us a little bit about this new museum? Absolutely. I said it's about time, right? Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, so we'll be right in the heart of downtown Nashville, 56,000 square feet. It's a $60 million project. It's been in development for more than 20 years. And we are finally about to open to the public here just this coming Labor Day. It will deal with, as I like to say, everything from slave songs to hip hop and everything in between. So we'll really uh, tell a story of the African-American contribution to American music and culture starting right at 1619 and then going all the way up through the present day. So whatever your favorite is, whatever your jam is, we'll cover it in the museum. Oh my goodness, that is exciting. People need to be starting to plan their trips right now. No. Absolutely. <laughs> you know I what? Think I of a better party to be at than uh, where we'll be on Labor Day. You, you know, that's a good point. So I'm thinking, are you going to have like live performances there? Are you going to have this big grand opening with music and historic museums right in the place? Yeah, absolutely. All all kinds of events are being planned, and you know we're 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 keeping it just a little bit hush hush at the moment. But uh, over the next few weeks, we'll roll out more details. We're going to start right with our uh, our celebration. I will say this: we'll start with our celebration of legend event, which will be held for the seventh time, actually early. Uh, so May 28th is when we'll do that, and then going forward right up through the grand opening itself, which will be Labor Day weekend. So more details to follow. Now I'm just wondering, really, you know how popular this is going to be, not just in this country, but I believe as a draw for people all around the world. When you look at what happened here in Washington, D.C. with the Smithsonian Museum of African American History and Culture, it became the most visited museum in the entire world after, after its opening. Are you expecting <laughs> a similar level of success with this museum? Well, we, we, we certainly hope so. I mean, it, it's really difficult to predict exactly how many people and how popular will be. What I will say is that Last year, 16 million people visited Nashville, and we really think that uh, this museum will be a big addition uh, to the tourism scene. Uh, and in particular, we, we expect that it will draw music lovers from around the country and around the world, Absolutely. and will be one more reason specifically for African Americans to come and hang out with us in Nashville. I completely agree. I mean, I, I am someone who loves to travel all over, and I don't care where I've been in the world, whether it's Europe, whether it's the continent, whether it's um, the Pacific, uh, wherever I am in the world, the, re the reflection of American culture that I see is our culture, specifically. And yep. uh, even and to drill down even more than that, it is often our musical genius that I see reflected everywhere and people seeking to emulate it. And so, you know, when you think about the international impact, it's been incredible. Right. I mean, and that's the story. I mean, one of the things that I think has been, you know, underreported in American culture is just how significant African-Americans, uh, roles African-Americans play in our culture. And that is specifically true when it comes to music. And there are many, many examples of that. Uh, folks who have borrowed from our culture and from our genius uh, to uh, to create forms of music such as uh, rock and roll. And, you know, folks like Mick Jagger and the Beatles certainly give credit to, and even Elvis Presley, 
gave credit to African Americans for influencing the music that they shared with the world. Uh, and so that is true across any genre, any period of time. And we really want to make sure this museum really gives the African American creators and geniuses and uh, the credit that they deserve. And so we'll we'll highlight everyone and the excellent contributions they make to to music, but especially those African American artists and the and the context. One of the things that's important to us in this museum is that we are not focused on genre as much as many museums might be. We really are placing this music, placing this culture in a historical context. So in the 1700s, what was American life like, and specifically what was African-American life like, very different than the way it is today. Mm -hmm. And so we're, well, that, that, that difference comes out in, that, that expression of American life comes out in the music that we share. And so we will make sure that that comes through in the way the visitor experiences the music in the museum. Oh, that is, that is awesome. Are, are there going to be like some hands-on exhibits? Like, can I try to sing when I'm there? You can. <laughs> In fact, we're, we're expecting that you will and, and that you'll do great. Uh, yes, there'll be more than 20 interactives through the museum. So we're really trying to make this a modern expression of a museum, a place where, you know, I hope that families of all ages will want to come and to share in the experience of music, but also a place where young people will want to, want to come and just hang out, not just when mom or dad brings them to the museum, but where they want to come and hang out and learn and listen and play and have a good time. Uh, so we're trying to make it a place where folks from all walks of life will want to come and learn with one another and, and learn something and, and yet go home patting their foot and, and smiling and maybe even beatboxing. And yes, you can sing. Oh, thank you. I don't know if that I really can sing, but I will definitely give it a try. I, I got you. I got you. I'm, I'm your backup. As long as you got some auto-tune in there, sister's good, okay? I, I, I got you. I got you. No, no worries. Well, listen, where can we go to find out more about your museum and getting yeah. ready for opening? Absolutely. So you can find us on all social media channels at the NAMAM. We call it NAMAM at the N-M-A-A-M. Uh, and then you can go to the web at blackmusicmuseum.org, blackmusicmuseum.org, and you can find out all kinds of stuff. And over the next few weeks, we'll be releasing more and more details about exactly what that grand opening will look like. Memberships are available. We're doing all kinds of educational programming around the city of Nashville and around the country. And so folks can kind of plug in, see what's going on, and we'll keep you updated. That sounds great. Thanks so much for joining us, and congratulations. Yeah, look, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you in Nashville. Absolutely. Oh All my right. goodness, that sounds like so much fun. <laughs> so, yeah, it does. And I'm wondering what the community response is like, um, mm -hmm. with particularly when you're talking about a community like Nashville that's yeah. really yeah. known, people think about music. Yeah. yeah. But, and then too, to add to that, it really evokes a level of pride because mm -hmm. I'm thinking about how people will be able to walk into our experience and see the gentrification mm -hmm. in this way. Mm -hmm. um, so much of what, and you all talked about it in the interview, so much of what is emulated in different cultures is from the original. And right. I just always hold true that black folks are original. Um, we are everything and we are eternal. And mm -hmm. so to be able to experience that and have our story told in such an eloquent and profound way, yeah. mm -hmm. that for me, for the imprint to be on our children, mm -hmm. and uh, especially as a reminder for you know our elders that that hold this history, I think that that is going to be game changing. Absolutely. Yeah.
It actually reminds me a lot of the, um, you know, the National Museum of African American History and Culture, the Smithsonian, right. the Blacksonian. Um, they have a really amazing exhibit on black music, and it's not yeah. as, you know, well known that that's there because everybody focuses on the history gallery. So when I looked at that video, I was like, oh my God, this is like that on steroids, yeah. you know? So that is incredibly exciting. I love the interactive part of it. And I also appreciate how he said it's not so much genre-based yeah. because, you know, sometimes people can be like, all right, well, that's not really my thing. I'm just going to tune that out. I'm going to focus on this genre. But going through the historic um, aspects of it and how it shaped black life and American culture is, I think that's a really huge part of why that's going to be really amazing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, when he talked about going back to the 1700s, the one thing I started thinking about is having gone to the slave castles. Yeah. And I mm -hmm. thought about lining hymns and right. how... Um, our ancestors, you know, took those words and they used it as a way to really push forward. Like, on mm -hmm. the other side of those words were not freedom for them. Mm -hmm. right. um, but it was a way of really encouraging and connecting um, and just really passing on something that's very powerful that all these, you know, years later, mm -hmm. you know, there are folks, there are churches, there are places of worship that still hold those um, traditions very, very strong and true. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And when you think about our creativity, oh, yeah. I mean, really, uh, yeah. there are, are no people on the planet mm -hmm. that right. are more creative mm -hmm. and innovative mm -hmm. than we are. Yeah. And, and music <clears throat> is one of those ways that over and over and over again, we have been the groundbreakers, mm -hmm. developing new types, developing entirely new genres yeah. that the rest of the world eventually comes to try to mimic. Right. It's just incredible to be able to have that history all sort of put together in one place. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. it's not lost in me either the irony that, you know, Nashville is no more for country music. So I like that it's bringing another little flavor to Nashville. Yeah. It's like, yeah. okay, black music is here, people. So let's go on ahead and you know, yeah. represent. Yeah, because yeah, we're innovators right. in that space, too. Absolutely. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's very true. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't it. start with Lil Nas or whatever his name is. Lil yeah, Lil Nas X. Lil Nas X. It did not. It did not. It did not start with him. And finally, there was a time when it was rare for little black girls to see dolls that look like them. Those times are changing. Barbie is releasing an Ella Fitzgerald doll. She follows Rosa Parks and hidden figure Katherine Johnson. The doll is part of the Inspiring Women series. Good job, Barbie. So that concludes today's Roland Martin Unfiltered. I hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow when Roland will broadcast from Los Angeles where he's attending the NAACP Image Awards. Until then, I'm Dr. Avis. Have a great evening, and I'll see you next time. Holla! <laughs>
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.